This is your coffee break. Hey friends, I'm back again this week and I have with me author Jason Pinter, who is the best-selling author of five novels and one children's book with over one million copies in print worldwide. He's been nominated for several awards. He has written for the New York Republic, or excuse me, the New Republic, Entrepreneur, The Daily Beast, and more. He is one of the top writers to follow on Twitter. He has done a lot of amazing things and he has a new book coming out. I'd love to introduce you to Jason Pinter. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited to have you. Um, I would love to start out this conversation just by having you give us a little bit of background on how uh, how you became a writer or what your writer's journey was like. Well, I think it stems first off just from being a reader. Uh, I grew up reading everything I could get my hands on. Uh, I was, I think, my, my my parents like to say my first word was book. Um, <laughs> I grew up always with a book in my hand. I was that kid underneath the covers late at night with a flashlight back when, you know, there were no iPhone lights to keep on um, reading a book. I read books at summer camp and all the time. And eventually I sort of realized that I wanted to sort of write some stories of my own. And, you know, uh, it was a combination of reading a lot and realizing that, you know, there were a lot of terrific books I loved that I would love to try to create something as good as those. And there were some books I read that were not so good. And <laughs> if anything, those, I think, showed me, hey, I, I can do this. Um, so uh, I think it really just all stemmed from being a reader and loving all these great stories so much and eventually wanting to try to write my own. That is awesome. What were some of those maybe good or not so good books that you kind of took in that gave you the encouragement to start? I don't want to say not so good. Because <laughs> a lot of, I, I, you know, it's one of those things as you get a little older, you meet some of your, your heroes. And, I, you know, there are some some books that I didn't love, but who's the authors I respect in a lot of different ways. Um, but, I'll, you know, as far as some of the books that I loved, I mean, I grew up loving, I actually grew up sort of loving horror and fantasy and science fiction. So I was a huge Stephen King fan. I still am. I was a big fan of sort of epic fantasy. So even before I read Tolkien, I read uh, Piers Anthony and Terry Brooks and Brian Jacques. Um, and then I sort of graduated into I started loving mystery mysteries and, and thrillers. Uh, and that was really because of my father. Um, mm. We lived a couple blocks away from this great independent bookstore called the Black Orchid. And my dad would go there every couple weeks and he'd always come home with a giant uh, bag full of books and he would read them <laughs> and pass them along to me. Um, so those were really that's sort of where I got my love of writing sort of mystery and, and, and thriller fiction. That is awesome. I know that uh, if I lived by a bookstore, I would no longer have a savings account. So <laughs> it's very tough. I, it's, it's, as my wife will tell you, like, I can't walk by a bookstore without going into it. And wherever we go on a vacation, I always have to find every bookstore basically within a, a walking or traveling uh, vicinity. <laughs> <laughs> is it different now to go into a bookstore and like see your own books in there? I mean, is that a cool feeling? It's, it's, I remember the first time it ever happened. It was when my first book, The Mark, came out. And I saw it, I think it was an ad at Barnes & Noble. And it's just sort of just bizarre. You know, I, I almost felt like, wait, are you sure you didn't walk in there and put them on the shelves yourself? Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's still pretty wonderful. And every now and then, you know, I still get notes from readers who, you know, I've never met, never heard of, who email me out of the blue to tell me they like my book. And it's still a pretty, pretty amazing feeling. Oh, gosh, I can imagine. What a, what a cool thing. And I love that it was your father who kind of got you into this. Your latest book is sort of in that sort of mystery, thriller, political sort of genre. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's my first time writing a book that really sort of has a bit of a political bent. Uh, you know, I wrote a uh, thriller series featuring a reporter named Henry Parker. That was sort of more, more of a mixture of kind of suspense mystery. Um, 
But really, this book sort of stemmed from, you know, I got the inspiration during the most recent presidential election, uh, as most people did watch it with a sort of a uh, combination of uh, horror and fascination and amazement <laughs> and amusement. And uh, I remember thinking at some point, you know, uh, I feel like there's a framework there for a really interesting sort of thriller novel about what it might be like to be in the most controversial presidential campaign of all time. What would it, what would it be like for a regular person to be in there? And the primary inspiration is actually there's a woman named Hope Hicks, who's uh, one of Donald Trump's uh, top advisors, and she uh, was not in politics. She came from a small town. She was actually a model, and she worked in PR and worked for, ended up working for Ivanka Trump's um, accessories brand and then ended up becoming one of Trump's top advisors. And I remember thinking it's amazing that this girl who had no political experience, had not worked in politics, was all of a sudden basically the, the communications director for – one of the most uh, controversial presidential campaigns of all time. And the my character in the book, Remy Stanton, is not directly modeled on, on Hope Hicks, but she was sort of the impetus a little bit to see what would it be like for a normal person with no political experience to be sucked into this kind of maelstrom. And that was sort of the inspiration to kind of take the the most recent election and see if I could write sort of a really compelling thriller using that as a backbone, but then adding in the kind of muscle and, and sinew myself. Awesome. What was your favorite part about writing this book? And the research was pretty fascinating. Um, you know, I, I'm a political couch potato or couch junkie, I would say. You know, <laughs> I, I watch all the networks and read all the news just, you know, like most people. But at the same time, that was a pretty, it's a pretty superficial way to learn what goes on in politics. So I knew that if I wanted to write this book, I really wanted to understand what went on behind the scenes, not just, you know, at the rallies, which we see on TV, what what happens at the hotels before and afterwards? What happens when they're on the road? What goes on in these meetings? So I ended up interviewing probably 25 different people who worked in various aspects of the political realm, uh, whether they were consultants, political operatives, um, campaign operatives, uh, publicists, marketing people who worked in all sorts of aspects of politics, people who worked on Hillary Clinton's campaign, people who worked on Donald Trump's campaign, people who worked for some of the third party candidates, really just kind of understand what goes on, you know, behind the scenes? What mm. don't we see on television? I think that to me was the most interesting part. And then I read a lot of books on politics. I mean, I think one of the best ones I read was uh, Hunter S. Thompson's uh, Fear and Loathing on the Cam Campaign Trail uh, 72. I mean, he's a, a brilliant writer, but just to sort of see like the relationships between uh, the candidates and their staff and the media, which is pretty fascinating. That's something that I tried to really tackle in the book. Did you come out of this with any political aspirations yourself? Absolutely not. No, I, I think I think if anything, my my you know sort of my political feelings have been made very clear on Twitter, and I, I probably said some things that would probably uh, if I ran for office, people would just do a very quick dig into my Twitter feed and say, "Oh no, you're, you can't run." <laughs> That's very fair, I, and I don't blame you for that. I'm so interested about this sort of alternate reality that you've created. Can you tell us a little bit about what went into the world building of your book? Well, you know, I knew that I, I wanted the the election to be a bit of a loose framework and i sort of wanted a trump-esque character to be in it i don't want to say antagonist because that's the wrong word because i don't know if i really see him as a villain but i had my character remy stanton who's sort of a regular guy who ends up working for the campaign of this sort of brash billionaire named rawson griggs and so he was going to be my sort of he was going to be the sort of uh the big uh kind of big daddy figure he's gonna be the, the man running for president 
But at the same time, I didn't want people to see him and just see Trump. You know, I wanted him to be his own character. I wanted him to have his own motivations. And whereas some people kind of, they look at Trump and they look at his social media feeds and they look at him on TV and they say, see, think that he's very impetuous and very thin-skinned and, very, you know, kind of very reactionary. Mm-hmm. I wanted Ross and Briggs to be different in the way that he might seem like that, but there really is a method to the madness where if he says something that seems off the cup, it really was very well calculated. So I wanted this character to be sort of like, what if you, what if Donald Trump really did, with what if there was a reason behind everything he did? If there was behind every controversial statement or decision, if there was a real rationale behind it. And that's sort of where I took the character from. And at the same time, he has this great relationship with his daughter, uh, Elena, who, uh, you know, again, you might see her and you might think of Ivanka, but she's a very different character, whereas Ivanka has clearly embraced the spotlight and works for mm-hmm. the campaign and is as visible as a, any human being alive. <laughs> Ross's daughter, Elena, works for him, but is really reluctant to be in the spotlight. She actually married a very normal guy in part because she didn't want to be you know, just sort of another political or celebrity wife. You know, she has, you know, her father tries to set her up with every scion and heir in the world, but in the end she marries an accountant. Um, so I sort of wanted to take all these characters, have them have some recognizable traits, but then kind of turn that on its head a little bit. So a lot of the listeners to the show are aspiring writers. They've maybe never published, maybe they're halfway through a novel, uh, they're struggling maybe to find time to write after they get home from work. What what kind of advice would you give these kind of new and aspiring writers? I've written all of my books while also maintaining a, a full-time job. So I, I completely empathize with the difficulty in, you know, going to work, coming home from work, being exhausted, maybe wanting to go to the gym, maybe wanting to meet your friends for drinks, maybe, you know, having time for your family. Um, and the tricky thing, you know, the truth is you you have to make sacrifices, whether it's the time you spend with friends, whether it's sleep. Um, you know, I would always my I remember, you know, this is, you know, a while ago, my favorite time to write was always, you know, starting around 10 p.m. at night when I got back from work and I was sort of like the world had tuned itself out. I love the sort of the silence. Now it's you find half an hour here, you find 45 minutes there. Um, my wife and I actually just had our first baby. Oh. And it's sort of, I have no idea, you know, I haven't really had a chance to write because the baby is less, under, less than two months old. It's sort of like you just carve out time here and there. I remember um, reading, I think it was a profile of John Grisham and how he wrote uh, his first book, A Time to Kill, when he was a, a full-time practicing attorney with the family. And Basically, he would, you know, every day he would go into work around seven and he'd wake up at like 5 a.m., write for two hours and go into the office. And waking up at 5 a.m. to start writing sounds pretty awful for most people. But at the same time, if you have other responsibilities, you pretty much do what you have to. So you carve out a little bit of time. Uh, if, it, you know, if you're used to taking hour long lunch breaks and going out to eat with friends, you know, take that hour and write at your desk. Um, just do whatever you need to. Oh, my gosh, exactly. Um, And I love the example about John Grisham getting up early and just getting it done. And I loved what you said about, you know, having to make those sacrifices. We talk about work-life balance, but when we talk about balance, I think that a lot of us get the idea that we can do everything if we just balance it all correctly. (laughs) And and, and you're laughing. So I know that, yes, uh, this this is maybe hitting home for you too, but we can't, we need to make sacrifices. So I I appreciate you sharing that with us and congrats on the new baby. That's so exciting. And thank you very much. If, if you if you hear her crying in the background, uh, don't don't be too surprised. <laughs> oh, so cute. 
So kind of getting back to writing, um, you also sort of have, you, you mentioned it earlier, you have this Twitter presence that I think you're, you're fairly well known for. Can you tell us a little bit about how you act sort of as a writer on social media and like what that has done for you as a writer? I think it's a very, um, that's a tough balancing act because I use Twitter for a lot of different reasons. I use it as a writer to promote my books and talk about my books and things like that. I use it as a publisher because I, I run a publishing company called Polis Books. So I use it a lot to talk about our books that I'm publishing and news and things like that. But then I also use it as a person. You know, I follow and converse with a lot. I have a lot of friends on Twitter and I converse with them or talk about things. I, you know, I get a fairly large chunk of my news from Twitter, actually, because I follow a lot of journalists and reporters. So I, I can read things in real time. And whenever things, you know, uh, whenever things happen in the news, like, I always sort of like to follow on Twitter and see the breaking news, see what columnists or thinkers I, uh, I respect are saying about it. So there's sort of multiple reasons that I, I use Twitter. Um, and I often have to be sort of very careful because I'm also aware that there might be people who follow me who like my books who maybe don't want to hear about politics or don't want to hear about this or that. And, you know, I don't want to be quiet about what, what I believe, but at the same time, I need to sort of be respectful of what other people say too. So it's, it, it can be tricky to balance that, but you know, I try to be interesting. I try to maintain a feed that's, even if you don't necessarily agree with what I say, you might learn something here, here or there. <laughs> But it's, it's a great way to sort of engage and stay, uh, stay in touch uh, and on top of things. Have you ever thought about, uh, and I get this question a lot from writers too, but have you ever thought about splitting out like, okay, I have my writing persona on Twitter. I have my me persona. I have my political persona. <laughs> Tell me I, your I thoughts that, on that. Yeah. At that point, you sort of become almost like Batman a little bit where you have like, you know, like <laughs> you're Bruce Wayne and then you're Batman. And at some point, if you, you might forget which is which and you wear, you know, the bat suit to dinner one night. Um, you know, I, I do, we do have a Polis Books Twitter feed, which is only for the uh, the company itself, which is solely used to talk about our authors and other things uh, regarding our books. Um, you know, I can't say I have a persona per se, but I, you you certainly have to be aware that when you're say, when you're conversing on Twitter, unless you have a private account, anything you say or do is public um, and can be retweeted, can be reposted. And there's certainly times I've maybe said things that looking back, I, I shouldn't have said or should have rephrased. Um, so it's sort of, you know, um, when you're having a conversation, the words disappear into thin air, but when you're on Twitter or social media, something that you post can be kept forever. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, and, and especially as someone with a family and, and a child, I want to sort of be very cautious about what I, what I do. Definitely. And I love that you brought up Paulus books. I would love to hear, um, what made you start your own publishing company? Well, I, you know, I've worked in publishing since I graduated college. My first job was as an editorial assistant at Warner Books. And, uh, God, it's almost 15 years ago at this point, which makes me feel old. Um, but I've worked, uh, I've worked at three major publishing houses. They, you know, I'd say three of the big six, but now they're, now they're the big five. Um, I worked at a large, uh, one of the larger independent houses. And I always loved it, but I always sort of, you know, wanted to be the primary decision maker. I wanted to be responsible for what we published. I wanted to really have the final say, not just what we published, but how we published it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, as much as I loved my experiences working at publishing houses, you know, it, it can be tough sometimes because you have any number of masters at a given moment between sales and marketing and publicity and the publisher and your, and your colleagues. And, you know, uh, there can be a time where to make one decision, you have to run it by a dozen people. Uh, mm -hmm. And it can be sort of maddening. And 
a lot of times uh, decisions can be made that upset an author. Uh, and, you know, you don't really have a choice because it's your boss that made it or it was a decision that came in a meeting. And I wanted to kind of be in a situation where I could work with authors directly, where I could work on them with their editing their books and working on their covers. And I feel like that'd be that'd be better to make make sure that they were happy. Uh, obviously, as an independent publisher, we don't necessarily have the muscle of a random house, but I feel like our authors can get better personal attention in a lot of ways than they might at a larger house. So that's sort of what I'm trying to bring to the table in a lot of ways. Have there been any kind of unusual challenges that you hadn't anticipated when you first started? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, <laughs> running a running a publishing company versus working at a publishing company. It's it's you know. Uh, I'd say, you know, working at a hot dog stand versus actually being responsible for making the hot dogs. Um, oh, gosh. <laughs> in other words, in an artful way. But, you know, I'm responsible for distribution and finance and all the things that as an editor you're really not for. I mean, uh, when I was an editor at, at these various houses, I could probably count on one hand the number of times I was involved in conversations about the financing of the company or issues with our distributor. Now, now those are things I deal with on a daily basis. And the, that was sort of the biggest learning curve in figuring out the uh, the operational side of it. I knew how to edit. Uh, I knew how to market fairly well. Um, but sort of the operational side, I didn't have a ton of experience on. So that was that was one I really had to kind of catch up, get up to speed on. And has that changed in any way, um, the way that you write books today? Um, I don't think it's changed the way I write books. It might change the way that I promote them only because I'm so involved in the marketing of our books that I sort of Anytime we do some marketing for our, for our books, if something works, I'll always sort of keep it in mind, be like, oh, that worked for that book. This might work for my books down the road. Um, so I certainly pick up things here. This because we publish so many more books than, than I publish. <laughs> there are always sort of things that I, I might do for the company that I would consider doing for my books if, if they worked. What does it take to start a publishing company? This is just very fascinating to me. Uh, a lot of drinks. Uh, <laughs> No, um, I mean, I think you really have to know the industry very, very well. It's not the kind of thing you can do as a hobby. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I devote my life, my life to this, you know, pretty much twenty four seven. You know, there's there's no such thing as nine to five. Uh, weekends don't really exist. You know, I, I start work generally before eight a.m. and I'm often working at ten p.m. on Saturday nights. Um, uh, so you not only need to know the industry, keep up on trends, have the contacts. Um, be smart in terms of marketing and publishing books that people want to read, but be willing to basically devote your life to it. You know, I, I, I'm a big fan of Shark Tank and they always talk to, you know, people who sort of, you know, they have these small businesses and it's kind of a hobby. If you want to run a publishing house, it can't be a hobby. It really does need to be a, a livelihood. And so I definitely look at it from that perspective. So you're kind of giving your all to the publishing company and, and maybe new baby aside, maybe that's a whole different conversation for another day. But how do you find time now to write? Um, since th- I haven't done much since the baby came, uh, I have, I've been promoting the new book and I've, I've written, uh, some pieces about it for other publications and I've been sort of sketching, started sketching out ideas for my next books, but I haven't really sort of dove into a new book just yet. I think we're starting kind of still figuring out the schedule between my, my work hours and the, the crazy hours that baby can keep. <laughs> 
I definitely understand that. And we've talked before on this show about having different seasons in your life. And this just might be baby season. It absolutely is. And, and she deserves it too. So yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy, to, you know, in terms, when you talk about sacrificing, I'm happy to kind of sacrifice uh, some of my writing time to, uh, to burping and feeding. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I'm so excited for you. When you're working through character development in your fiction, what goes through your mind? How do you develop your characters? Um, you know, I remember there's a uh, there's a friend of mine named MJ Rose who's a terrific writer too, and I remember I think I was on a panel with her at a library event once, and she told me that for every one of her characters, she sort of wrote almost like a little bit of a scrapbook for each of them. Um, I, I I don't go that far, but I remember being so blown away by that. So like, she would basically write a dossier for each character: who were they, what did they like, what was their backstory, what food did they like, what did they enjoy doing in their spare time, who were they romantically involved with. And and she really put so much thought into every character. And I remember you know going into each book as I as I sort of write my main characters, thinking about you know I don't want the characters to just sort of be plot devices. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I write a character named like Ross and Greg, so obviously people are going to see a lot of parallels to Donald Trump. At the same time, I want to really get into his backstory, what motivated him, uh, why he even people some people though some people might see him as an antagonist why he could also be sort of sympathetic in a lot of ways. Um, so I try to look at each character and think about not just who they are, but where do they come from? What influenced them? What do they like? If they are, if you see them out, out on a Friday night, what are they going to be doing? When they're at home, not working, what are they doing? Um, and try to figure out really what their lives are like. Um, you know, I think that matters to me more than, you know, as, as much as I love a book with a good plot, I think a plot almost doesn't really matter if the characters themselves aren't interesting. So I think when I write, I tend to go for the characters first and then put the plot around them rather than the other way around. I love that. And it's really the characters that suck you in. So I really appreciate that. I have to ask about your process. Are you a planner or a pantser? More of a pantser. Uh, (laughs) I I love this. I remember when I first started started writing and I would start going to conferences and I hear, you know, people would come up and say, are you a pantser? And I'm like, I'm not going to put it on your pants, but we'll see how the night goes. Um, No, I'd say I start each book. I I sort of have three plot points I have in mind. I generally know how the book is going to start. I have an opening scene in my mind and how it's sort of going to kick things into gear. I generally have one scene that occurs around halfway through the book, give or take, where there's going to be sort of a big twist or a big event that's going to sort of careen things off in a different direction. And then I generally know how I want it to end. Uh, Not necessarily exactly how I want it to end, but I sort of have the general destination. You know, if I'm driving in a car from New York to Texas, I might, you know, I might not know the street I'm going to in Texas, but I know I'm going to somewhere in Texas. Then I get, as, as I get closer, I'll sort of figure out the exact destination. So I sort of have those bullet points. And then as I'm writing and sort of ideas come to my mind, I'll always kind of write them down. But I'm, I generally don't do sort of big, elaborate 80-page outlines and follow them to a T. I sort of let the characters dictate where things are going to go once I have those sort of bullet points in mind. I love it. Yes, I am very, very much the same way. I think I think that we pantsers get a lot of flack, but... You know, there's this, there's something really beautiful in just treating writing as an act of discovery. And so it's kind of nice. I completely agree. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean, I always feel like, you know, um, I'll give you an example. The character of Elena Griggs in this book, who's Ross and Griggs's daughter. When I originally conceived the book, she was actually a very different character. Um, she was uh, a lot colder hmm. than the way she is now. I saw her as a lot more of a, of a schemer in some ways. I wasn't even, I wasn't sure if she was going to be sympathetic, antagonistic. 
And as I started writing, she changed drastically. And and now she might even be my favorite character in the book. But that was the kind of thing, like, had I written an outline and then stuck to that outline, uh, to you know, like glue, she would have been a very different character than the one that ended up being being on the page. Oh, my God. And, and I think and I think I'm much better for it. If people are interested in following you on Twitter, if they're interested in purchasing either your new book or past books that you've written, what can they do? Where can they go? How can they find you? Well, they can go. I'm on Twitter at, at Jason Pinter. So it's a J-A-S-O-N-P-I-N-T-E-R. Uh, they can go to my website, which is jasonpinter.com. Uh, I have uh, all the links to my books, both new and old on there. Uh, if you go into any retail site amazon barnes noble indie bound you can find uh links to my books um and you can google me i'm, I'm pretty much pretty much everywhere for, uh, for for better or for worse but you can definitely go to my website and find information about my, my books and where to get them and you can follow me at on uh, at jason pinder on, on twitter Thank you so much for, for sharing your, your wisdom and your insight today. I love hearing about author processes. This has just been very, very delightful. I'm going to have to tell my parents if somebody thanked me for sharing my wisdom because <laughs> I, I don't get that too, too often. So thank, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. And I'll leave that in here so that like when this podcast episode launches, you actually have proof of it too. So. <laughs> that, that's perfect. I'm, I'm going to send this over to them to make sure we like put it, maybe put it on like a keychain or something. <laughs> Yep, yep. I know what that's like, little USB thing. Um, exactly. Well, gosh, well, thank you again so much. Congrats on the baby. Congrats on the book. Life is just going to be so wonderful for you. I'm so excited. Thank you. Thank you for having me.